This is episode 471 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. Just look around. Peace seems like such an elusive commodity today. After all, it seems we are surrounded by ever-increasing chaos and turmoil on every side with no end in sight. What are believers to do in a climate like we are facing today? We are to strive to experience the peace of God. Note, not the peace with God, which is something quite different, but the peace of God. It's a peace that comes only from Him. It's the peace He experienced Himself while on earth, this indescribable, supernatural, beyond understanding peace. Paul tells us exactly how to find this peace in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. That's our job. And now God's job, the promise, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. But what kind of peace is that? And how can we experience this promised peace? I mean, is it something we need to muster up ourselves or or something we need to eternalize? Or does it, like faith, come from outside of ourselves? And if so, how can we obtain this peace of God? Learning to experience the peace of God is the one thing that will let your spirit soar in confidence and faith, especially as we see this coming darkness encroaching all around us. So let's jump right in today and learn about the peace of God as we also learn how to leave Laodicea behind. There's not a need to tell you that we're living in troubling times right now. I've been talking to a lot of people, I've even experienced in my own family, but it appears that uh, everybody is stressed. You know, you watch the news and you get stressed. You look at all these competing voices about the election and the horrible things they say about each other, enemy of the state and, you know, these terrible people, and you get stressed. Even in our small congregation here, there's a lot of things going on in a lot of your lives that causes stress, you know, and it, it seems to be just ratcheting up. And one of the signs of the end times, of course, is that the love of many will grow cold, that members of own households will become enemies of each other. And we see this, this I don't know, stress, I guess it is, just seem to kind of, kind of multiply. And, and it shouldn't surprise us at all because God told us that this was going to happen. As I shared with you a couple weeks ago, one of the things when we're looking at our world situation we need to do is recognize the times in which we live. Jesus chastised the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even his own disciples for being able to recognize simple things, but not recognizing the most important things. It says, when it is evening, he said, it will be fair weather for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. You can look at the skies, you can predict the weather, you can see if a hurricane's coming, you can have a pretty good idea what direction the stock market's going, you can look at world events, you can see all these things going on, but hypocrites, hypocrites he called them, you know how to discern the face of the sky which you cannot control but you cannot discern the signs of the time. A couple weeks ago, 
I shared with you some of the things as a church and as Christians we need to be focusing on during these times in which we live. It's really simple. We need to build our trust in him, which is another way of saying faith. We need to learn not to worry and have some sort of peace that passes all understanding, which involves faith. We need to pray like we've never prayed before. We talked about the Chronicles passage, which again involves praying in faith. We need to prepare for whatever the Lord has coming our way and not be like the foolish man who just plows ahead and pays the penalty, which of course involves faith. We need to have a deeper commitment to Christ than we've ever had before, which is faith. We need to stand for his kingdom irrespective of what the world does, which requires faith. We need to trust that he knows what's going to happen, past, present, and future, which involves faith. And if you look at all this, all of it is focused on faith which is one of the reasons why on Tuesday night we're trying to to learn how to increase our faith and trust the Lord for what he says. So taking these just one at a time, the first one, the hardest one for me is do not worry or have faith. We've looked at this verse twice now. I want to run it by you one more time. I hope you'll commit it to memory. It has really uh, been an anchor for me over the last two weeks whenever stress would come or whenever people would say, well, what are you going to do about this? I mean, this is kind of crazy. I mean, I can't believe this is happening. I just remember to quote this verse. Be anxious for nothing. That's an all-inclusive word, nothing. Be, don't be anxious for financial situations, for medical situations, for family situations. Don't be anxious if your marriage is falling apart, if your kids are, are leaving the house and won't have anything to do with you, if it looks like you don't have a paycheck and a stimulus check is not coming in and you're going to lose all your stuff, be anxious for nothing. Nothing. All-inclusive term. Okay, then what do I do? But in everything, another all-inclusive term. In everything, I'm not anxious for anything, but in everything that I'm not anxious for by prayer and supplication, trusting God's sovereignty with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. That's the requirement. This is the if part of an if-then passage. If I do this, then God promises something that you can't put your mind around, that you can't really describe. Unless you've experienced it, it's like, it's absurdity to you. If you're lost, then you have no clue what this is like. And if you're saved but have never experienced this kind of peace, that that beyond comprehension, then it's really hard to describe to someone what it's like. Your situation stays the same, but life changes. First time I um, really got a picture of this peace of God was when I was reading the account of Corrie ten Boom uh, when she was in Raven's book, Prison in uh, Nazi Germany. And she was there with her sister. And uh, her sister was the more spiritual one and it had a little vial of vitamins, vitamin liquid. I know I've shared this with you, just a, a little vial that they were able to smuggle in. And Corey was very protective of her sister. And so Corey says, we need to save these vitamins to give to you so you can survive the horrific situations that is going on. I mean, you have no, you should read it. The 
terrible situations that was going on. Of course, the sister said, we don't need to worry about anything. I'm not going to be anxious about my health. I'm going to just trust the Lord. And there are far more people here that are worse off than I am. So I am going to share with them this small little two ounce jar or vial of vitamin liquid. And she began sharing. And she shared to everyone who had need, and the miracle took place that that vial never emptied all the time they were there. Kind of like the story of you know, the oil in the pots in the Old Testament. She worried about nothing, but in everything, with supplication, with thanksgiving, thank you, God, I'm letting my request be known unto you. Corey thought it was foolishness, but not her sister. Because she experienced the peace of God. Not peace from God, but peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And it guarded her heart and her mind from worry through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. So what do we do? Well, as men, we need to learn how to experience this peace of God. Because our wives are looking to us for leadership. And if we quake and panic, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, I feel so terrible. Help me, help me, help me, help me. What confidence as a spiritual leader of your family does that instill in your wife and children? I mean, they're looking to us for leadership. And so we're the ones that have to learn, first of all, to experience this peace of God that only he can give. Wives, that doesn't let you off the hook. Or women, you need to also. Because you don't need to keep coming up to your husbands all the time, panicking about everything. Are you sure it's going to work out? Everything's going to be good. I told you. It's going to be fine. Well, you have to show me. I just don't believe. And all that does is cause more stress. We all, as believers, we all have to learn how to experience, not just know about, but experience this peace that only he can give. And what kind of peace is that? The Bible says it passes all understanding. But... And if there is that kind of peace, the peace of God, how do I experience that? Is that something I muster up myself? You know, I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm just going to will myself to think good thoughts. You know that doesn't work. Is it something that I internalize myself? I'm just going to go through yoga classes and, and all that kind of stuff to calm myself down, Om, to, to experience some sort of peace. That's not what we're talking about here. Or is it something like faith? that I don't muster up on my own, but is given to me as a gift of God, does this peace come outside of myself? And if so, how do I obtain that? What do I need to do to be a man or woman of granite character and trust, even during turbulent times? What do I do? As I was looking through the scripture, there are really three kinds or types of peace that the scripture talks about. Let me share those with you. The first one is peace with God, that I am at peace with him. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not angry at me. God is not going to judge me. I will not experience the wrath of the lamb because I am at peace with God because my sins have been forgiven. Then there's something called peace with each other. 
It's like an external peace. It means there's lack of conflict. I'm at peace. Our nation's at peace with another nation. I'm at peace with my neighbor. Husband and wife are at peace together. Our children, are, which we're having conflict with because they're going through their teenage years, we're at peace with them. And then, of course, there's a phrase called peace of God, which is internal. And the key verse for that is, of course, be anxious for nothing. Peace with God. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, God has given me justification. I'm in a right legal standing with him. He looks at my sins and he has forgiven those sins. And in his mind, it's just as if I never sinned. So therefore, there's no anger, there's no wrath, there's no judgment, there's no penalty for my sins because I have been justified. I have been, past tense, justified by faith, and therefore I have peace with God. God and I are not enemies anymore. I am not living contrary to God. God, I am a son of God. I'm a child of God. I receive his pleasure, and all that happens through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what happens when you get saved. Through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Once I experience the peace of God, then I'm able to, to understand how it feels to be a child of God loved by him. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation. To whom? To those who have experienced peace with God who are in Christ Jesus. And described as those who walk according to the flesh, or do not walk according to the flesh, but not according to the Spirit. So if I have this peace with God, and I know there's no condemnation, and I know God loves me no matter what, what, what kind of impact does that have in my life? How can I function knowing that I'm living in a world that is not sunshine and roses? Here's what Paul says. Who shall separate us? from the love of Christ. What can you do to void his love? Shall tribulation, now we're facing that right now, distress, everywhere we turn, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, war, the sword, any of those things? No, because that is, is written prophetically, for your sake we're killed all day long and accounted as sheep to the slaughter. We expect that to happen because we're living in a dark world and everyone who desires to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Yet in all of these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, I lost my job, COVID-19, my wife left me, my husband left me, my kids won't have anything to do with me, my parents have disowned me, my 401k has, has evaporated, I'm, I, have I spent my whole life building this business and now it's been burnt to the ground. I have nothing in all these things. We are not just survivors, but we are more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. Through Christ who loved us. Because we are in Christ. And then he continues, because of that, I am persuaded, I am firmly convinced that neither death nor life, 
angels or principalities or powers or demons or, or anything you want to add to that, nor things that are going to come in the future, nor things that are coming right now, neither my past, nothing, nothing high, nothing low, or anything that's created on this earth, nothing shall separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And because of that, irrespective of the turmoil in the world or the turmoil in my life, I have peace, tranquility, pleasure with God. First kind of peace. And then there's this peace with others. Trying to live in a peaceful relationship with each other. Again, Romans 12 talks about that. Repay no one evil for evil. Oh, this is that smite on the cheek and I have to give them my other cheek, right? This is someone sues me for um, my cloak that I give them even more than that. This means when a Roman soldier demands I carry his armor for a mile, I carry it too. Repay no one evil for evil. Why? Because you've got a big father. You've got a big father who's going to take care of his kids. It's not up to you to fight your battles. It's up to him to fight your battles. So therefore... Don't repay evil for evil, but have regard for good things in the sight of all men, even those who are evil. If it is possible, to whatever degree, to how much it depends on you, because you, when you're in a severed relationship, it takes two people of reconciliation here, but as much as you can do, live peacefully with all men, all men, even the evil ones. How? How do I do that? How do I live at peace with others when they're constantly persecuting me and bullying me and taking advantage of me? What do I do? It's really simple. Beloved, do not avenge yourself. Why? Because you have a mighty God that will take care of that. But rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. Just step aside, step aside from the wrath and let the wrath and vengeance of God take care of your problems. Well, okay, but if I trust God to take care of evil people, then how am I to treat evil people? Just like you had a God that could take care of a bully. Just bless him. Just bless him. If our enemy is hungry, feed him. Well, no, if he's hungry, I can exploit that, that problem he's going through right now, and it gives me an advantage. No. If he's hungry and he has a weakness, you feed him. You bless him. You give to him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Why? Because in doing so, it makes his whole character feel wrong. It's like, as it says here, pouring heaping coals of fire on his head. Therefore, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Really hard in the world we live in right now, is it? And it's because our God is too small. We can have peace with God, and then we can try to have, as much as is up to us, peace with others. But the key to all this is experiencing the peace of God. There's a huge difference between peace with God and peace of God. You can have peace with God. He's not angry at me because I have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the satisfaction of my sin, debt, 
and he has accepted the blood of his son, so I have peace with God and still not have the peace of God because that comes from trust and rest and faith in him. Peace of God is a peace that only comes from him. Listen very carefully. It is the type of peace that Jesus experienced when he was on earth. He had people malign him. He had people take advantage of him. They confronted him at every opportunity they had. He had no money. He had responsibility of feeding thousands of people, and yet he just rested in peace because he knew his father was faithful. He, um, he, in his inner circle, when he first called the 12, he knew prophetically one of them would betray him. And even in the Last Supper, he washed Judas's feet, giving him every opportunity to repent and not betray him. What kind of man does that? Someone who has this kind of peace that you and I can't understand. The peace of God is that kind of peace that Jesus had on earth. And he promises to give us that peace. Really, it says to leave us his peace as a gift and as a promise if we trust him. Better, better than peace with other people. This is experiencing firsthand this peace of God. And it is so wonderful, the scripture says. Can't even describe it. You can't even articulate it. It, it makes no sense at all. Why are you so happy? You're in this dungeon and you're about to get brought out and beat again. They, they have unjustly, Paul and uh, Silas, they have ripped the skin off your back. There's human feces all around. You're locked in here with the rats, and you're going to catch some terrible disease. You are forsaken by God. You are lost by God, and you're singing praise songs to him at midnight? Where does that come from? That's exactly what my... What, God's son would have done, exactly what my Lord would have done. I'm experiencing his wonder, his joy. These circumstances mean nothing. God can just think the thought and an earthquake could happen and all the chains could fall off and I could be free. True? It's just stuff. It's just circumstances. And if you have a big view of God, he can do anything he wants. And when you Feel that and embrace that. The peace of God, the peace Christ experienced becomes real to you. Remember the verse, be anxious for nothing. Jesus, were you anxious for anything? No. I, I know why I'm here. I know the mission that, uh, that I've been called to do. I've been given these 12 disciples over here and a, and a, a bunch of entourage of other people. I know the Jews are against me. I know that everybody wants to kill me, but I don't care because I serve a great God. And so what I do is everything by prayer and supplication, praising God. He took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke that bread that said, this is my body broken for you and gave it to his disciples. He gave thanks for the fact that his body would be broken for us. What kind of man does that? What kind of peace would it take to thank the Lord for the suffering that I'm about to partake for people who don't even get it right now and breaking that bread? Same peace that is available to each of us. Let your requests be known to God and leave them there. 
Not worry about them anymore. They are done. You have appealed to the highest authority who is not only king and sovereign, but is your father. Your father. And the peace of God, this something that emanates from him, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So I'm asking the Lord to show me this peace. Show me where he talks about this peace. Show me, show me the kind of peace that, that Jesus experienced when he was on the earth. And he showed me two passages. And they're like, they're like bookends. The first one is in John 14, 27. This is the beginning bookend. And then we're going to go a couple more chapters and there's an end bookend here. And they both talk about peace. John 14, 27. He said, peace. What? I leave with you. Wow, that's different than giving it to me. Peace I leave with you. It's like, you know, my peace I give to you. Okay, I've got that, that you're going to give it to me as a gift. But it's almost like I'm getting ready to go. I'm getting ready to leave. I'm getting ready to, to go on a journey. I'm getting ready to no longer be around you anymore. And what I have, my peace, as a blessing to you so you can live like I live, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to give to you. What, like, kind of like the peace of the world? Like, like no wars and, and political factions? Like, no, 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 no. Not as the world gives do I give to you but I'm going to give you my peace. And when I do, your heart will be like mine. Let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Because I'm not troubled and I'm not afraid. And what I have that makes me not troubled and not afraid, I'm not only going to give to you, but I'm going to leave it to you like as a legacy, as an inheritance, as a birthright. That's bookend number one. And then we go all the way to John 16, 33. And we find book in number two. And here's what he says. These things I have spoken to you, all these chapters in here, that in me, not in the world, not in you, not in circumstances, not in money, not in political affiliations, not in church membership, not in your business, nothing. But in me, you will have peace. Well, I'm doing pretty well right now. No. In the world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise. But don't worry about that. Be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Hence, I have overcome the tribulation. I have overcome the fear and the anguish and the pain and the worry and the suffering and the doubt that's all part of the world. I have overcome it all. Book in number one. And book in number two. Now what I want to do today and next time I'm up here preaching to you is I want to give you the context of these two bookends so you can kind of understand what the disciples were struggling with and the stress they were under to let Jesus' words make more sense. Sound good? We're going to begin in John chapter 13, beginning in verse number 33. They're in, the, they're in the Last Supper right now. Jesus has already washed their feet. He has already identified Judas as the betrayer. Judas now leaves. Verse number 30 says of John 13, having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. 
The only people that were left in that upper room were Jesus, were those people who were committed to him. And he knows what's about to happen that day. They, of course, were somewhat clueless, or they chose not to believe. And he is laying out for them the most important teaching, since I am going to be gone, so you can live your life like I have lived mine, like I modeled it in front of you. Verse 31 says, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Okay. It's almost like Jesus is making this affirmation. I can see him in my mind's eye as soon as Judas leaves and the door closes and it's just the disciples and they're all looking at him. That Jesus almost makes this statement kind of like to himself, like an affirmation to the Lord. And then he looks at those people who are around him. He looks at those disciples that have been with him, that have trusted him, that are dependent upon him, that have left everything for him. And he calls them little children. Little children, he says, I shall be with you a little while longer. What? 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 Yeah, a little while longer. Verse 33, you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, that's back in chapter 7, as I said to the Jews where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you and that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. Makes two statements here. First statement is, I'm leaving, and where I'm going, you can't follow now. I'm leaving, and you can't come. It's not the first time you heard me say that. I said that back in, in chapter 7, but I'm leaving. The second one is this that I'm giving you a new command, and we find over and over here in these two verses, love, 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 love. I mean, it's like he's, most important thing is you guys have got to love each other. You guys have got to be committed to each other. You guys have got to quit focusing on everybody else's frailties and their irritants, but you must love each other as I have loved you. And the word here is agape. You are to love each other altruistically. You are loved each other unconditionally. You are to love each other expecting nothing in return. Self-sacrificing love. A new commandment I give to you, verse 34, that you love one another. To what degree? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Why? For by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus is here. Jesus makes this statement. Hey, I'm going to be leaving, heading out on the uh, 415 train tomorrow morning, but I want you guys to love each other. And we missed it. The disciples missed it. They, they, they couldn't even focus on the love part because all they were thinking about is fear and stress and dread. What, 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 what do you mean, verse 36? Lord, Lord where, where, where are you going? Well, didn't you hear what I said about the love part? No, I didn't. I, I can't even get past the part that you're leaving. What, 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 what are we supposed to do? 
I mean, if you leave, I mean, who's going to lead us? Who's going to take over here? I mean, where are we supposed to go? We're clueless when it comes to this. I mean, do I go back fishing? Do I not go back fishing? Who's going to protect us? Who's going to take care of us? When the Pharisees come at us and and they make all these theological arguments, we're not able to stand up against that right now. I mean, Lord, wait a second. We bought into this. We, we decided, we sacrificed everything for you, and you're leaving us. I can't believe that was the question that he asked. He missed the whole point about the new command. And I, I, can't, I can't even hear that because all I feel is stress and pressure and depression and fear. Get the point? Guys are going through the same thing we are today. Lord, where are you going? Again, he reiterates, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you shall follow me afterwards. It's almost like I, I've shared it. I, I've answered your question, Peter. Now, can you set that question aside? Because I want to get back to the new command, the love part, and Peter wouldn't let that go. Well, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. You almost see this pause. Really? Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow three times. You deny, shall not crow until you have denied me three times. And we miss the point that this entire dialogue took place because the disciples are frantic that Jesus is leaving them. I'm going to be all alone. I'm not going to be able to take care of my family I'm, I just, I don't have any friends. Everybody's turned against me, and now you're leaving? I, I've depended upon you so much. You're my strength. You're the Lord. You can't leave, but I am. But I am. And if you'll notice, the text just flows into chapter 14. It's not a, it's, a, it's one long narrative here. It's almost like Jesus can see them stressing. Many times we associate chapter 14, verse 1, with Peter's denial of Christ. That, well, here's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He, what he's doing is encouraging Peter because he just told Peter that he was going to deny. No. The context here is what's happening in chapter 14, verse 1, has to do with all of their depression because he is leaving. I, I, I don't understand. Let your heart not be troubled. Why? If you believe in God, believe also in me. Let me tell you the eternal picture of this. You guys are worried about where you're going to get your next meal. But in the kingdom of God, it's all about where you're going to spend eternity. Life on earth is just a a transitory thought. It's like a vapor compared to eternity. And so let me tell you the great news. Let me tell you the good news. Let me tell you what I'm presenting to you as my children. In my father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And I am leaving. That's why I'm leaving. I'm leaving to prepare a place for you, to make ready a place for you, so you may come and live with me. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas. No, I don't. I don't understand anything. All I understand is the fact that you're leaving. 
And now you're talking about someplace in heaven, but that doesn't help me right now. What I'm worried about right now is what I'm going to do tomorrow when you're gone. Because I'm so earthly focused that I can't even grasp what it means to live in your kingdom. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me show you something about this passage. Verse number four, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Those two knows are Edo. It's 1492 in a strong concordance. It means to know cognitively. It means to know like we know math or we know science or, or we know something that we've seen on television. It's an accumulation of facts that may or may not have any effect on your life at all. And uh, where I go, you know, you know the way where I'm going. I've told you already. And the way to get there, you know that too. Thomas, Lord, we do not know. That's Edo again. We do not know cognitively. You, I, I missed that day in class. I wasn't paying attention. We do not know where you're going. How can we know, same word, the way? And Jesus says, it's because you, you don't know who I am. You haven't viewed me for who I am that you're still worrying about details, and I am God. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life, John chapter 11, when I raised Lazarus from the dead. I am the only one that matters. I am God Almighty. I am the incarnate one. Don't you remember? I walk on water. I, I rebuke Satan. I heal lepers. I can do anything I want. But what about our finances? I fed 5,000 people with a Chick-fil-A number six basket. I did anything I want to do. You don't know me. Verse seven. But if you had known me, this is a different word. This is not Edo. This is gnosko. This is totally different. He chastises them. You, you know the way. We don't know the way. How can you say we know the way? Yes, but if you had known by experience me, if you had trusted me, if you had placed your, tr your favor in me, if my favor would have rested on you, if you would have known me intimately, you wouldn't be asking these questions. If you had known me, you would have known, same word, my father. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Three times in verse number seven, the word gnosko is used. Prior to that, the word know is always edo. If you had known me experientially, had you been intimate with me, if you had trusted me, if you'd really known who I was, then you would have known the same way my father. But from now on, because something monumental is about to happen to your life, but from now on, when the Holy Spirit's come, you will know him and you have seen him. Philip, I don't understand. We haven't seen the Father. I mean, God the Father's way up there. And, and how can you say that? Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. My faith is so small that you're not good enough. Either work some sign out, either do a miracle, somehow prove to me that you're the Father. Because if you'll just show us a glimpse of the Father, smoke coming down Mount Sinai, all that Old Testament stuff, then I will believe. Jesus says, I have been with you so long, 
and yet you have not gnosko me, you haven't known me intimately, you haven't known me by experience, that all your knowledge is head knowledge, that you spend all your time in Sunday school and you memorized all these verses and you come to church and you sing all the songs, yet when it comes to the deep bedrock elements of your faith, you've never truly experienced me or my peace? Have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? He who's seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? And if you don't believe my words, verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. As you're going through Scripture, if you will make a habit of circling words that are listed and then defined or amplified later on, it'll just make your Bible study time come alive. We looked at the word no, verse 4, twice in verse 4, twice in verse number 5, and we find that that no is Edo. And then we see Jesus uses that phrase, and he changes it in verse number seven to gnosko. And we have, we have three times in verse number seven, we have the word gnosko. We have verse number nine, the word gnosko. By the time we get to verse number 10, he's introducing a new concept, and that's the word believe. It is the exact same word, it's a, I'm sorry, it's a derivative of the, of the word that we talk about for faith. The word for faith is pistis, this is pistuo. It's just a small derivative of that. It talks about if you have faith, if you trust, if you believe, then all these amazing things are going to happen. Verse number 10, do you not believe or trust or have faith that I'm in the Father? Verse 11, believe and trust or have faith, me, that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe and have trust and faith for me because of the works themselves. Then we get to verse number 12, where we find the word believe again, pastuo. Only here, he amplifies that in a way that is really hard to get our mind around. Verse number 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The works that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. We also find the word works listed in verse number 10 and verse number uh, 11, and then again in verse number 12. And so we've got this phrase, belief, pistuo, and we've got the phrase works, which is these mighty works. It means the the task of employment. It's what's expected of someone. Jesus is the son of God, and these are the things that he's expected to do. And we're going to find out that we are children of the son of God, and there's certain things that we're expected to do. And it seems like the words belief and the words works, they all kind of merge together in various verses until they finally come together in a cohesive statement in truth that will blow you away in verse number 12. And he sums it up by saying, most assuredly, all this teaching, most assuredly, verily, verily, in the King James, I say to you, he, not just anybody special, 
not just the disciples, not just those people back then, but that he includes everyone, includes you too. It includes us. He who believes, he who pastuo, he who has faith and trust in me. We were talking about Tuesday night about the difference between active and passive faith. We have passive faith when it comes to trusting Christ for salvation because the gift of salvation was something that was given to us. We have active and passive faith. And of course, passive faith is I'm placing my faith in something that was already accomplished that that God has given to me. Active faith is when we actually act out what we claim to believe. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes, bestuo, in me. Same word here, the works that I do, he will do also. Wait, wait, Wait a second. You told us earlier that if we can't believe that you and the Father are one because of just your words, that we should be able to believe that you and the Father are one because of your works. Because the things you are doing are only things God can do. And using the very same word, amplifying now, amplifying it now, you're now telling us that if I believe and trust in you with this active pastuo faith and believe in you, that the very works that we're supposed to affirm you came from the Father by are the very works that we will do ourselves. And greater, he says, works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Look, Peter, you're all upset because I told you I was leaving. And all you could think about is how that's going to affect your life. All you could think about was, oh, you're going to be gone. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's going to be terrible. Help, 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 help. And I told you that it's okay that I'm leaving. That here, if I do leave, that something's going to happen to replace me in your life that is going to be better than you and I having a meal together right now. Something is going to happen that is going to allow you to do even greater works than I do. The same works that I'm asking you to believe I am come from the Father with. And why is that? Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do he will also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Well, what happens when you go to your father. That's the uh, verses that follow. When I go to the father, I will send you someone else. I will send you the Holy Spirit, who will not just be with you in this upper room, but when I happen to go to Capernaum and you stay in Nazareth, he's going to be with you there. And he will teach you all things, and he will empower you, and he will give you gifts, and he will give you peace, and he will help you understand things that you can't even imagine. It is far better for you that I go to the Father than I stay here. The problem is you're so short-sighted in what you're thinking that you don't see the great blessing and benefit out there by trusting in me. Instead, you're paranoid and just catatonic because of fear and dread and doubt. 
Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Gosh, can you imagine? If you love me, keep my commandments. And if you do, that's the condition, I will pray to the Father and he, the Father, will give you another helper, an advocate, an intercessor, one who comes alongside another just like me, that he may abide with you forever, forever, during good times and bad times. Who is this person? Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, that's Gnosko, but you know him, for he dwells with you and be, will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I want you to look at verse number 16. And I will pray the Father, and he, the Father, it's very easy to figure out that pronoun is indicative of the Father, and he, the Father, will give you another helper that he, oh, this one's a little more confusing. Is this he, the Father, or is his he, the helper? He will give you another helper defined as the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit in verse number 17, but it doesn't indicate for us whether that he is the Father or the Spirit. We do know it includes the Spirit, but it may be the fact that the reason why the Holy Spirit is coming to us, since they are all one, is the Father wants to abide in us forever. The Father. How does the Father do that? He does it through, the, through His Son. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, how does the Son abide with us forever? I'm sending you another just like me. I mean, you can read it either way, or like me, you can read it both ways. But the fact is, I will give you another helper, so he, the Father, loves you so much that he wants to abide with you forever. And he does it by his Spirit, who now lives in you, which is co-equal with the Father, who is just like Jesus. What is God the Father like? He's just like Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. So if I want to know what God the Father's like, I look at Jesus. Jesus I can relate to. God the Father is kind of frightening. True? Not really. It's just like Jesus. What's the spirit like? Spirit is just like Jesus because they're all one. And he says, I will send you another helper just like me. And that word another means one of the same identical kind. That they will abide with us forever. The spirit of truth and the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, let's get back to the issue. You guys are scared because I'm leaving. You guys are scared because of the, the situation we're in right now. So I'm going to go ahead and bring that back to your forefront in verse number 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. Told you I'm leaving. But you will see me. Wait, 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 wait. You just told us you were leaving. And now you're telling us that the world won't see you, but I'll see you. So um, are, you, are you just going to hide yourself from them? Or are we just going to stay in this house the whole time? I mean, how does that work? Are you only going to manifest yourself to, to us? 
No, but you will see me. You will. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm coming to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Because I live, you will also live. And at that day, that day, of course, when the helper comes, you will know, that's experiential, that's gnosko, that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. There's a union here that's taking place. I and my Father are one, and we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. See the implication? Explain to me what there's to fear about anything, anything. If we are in Christ and God is in us, and he only not only tells us that we are sons of God, but we're heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ in Romans chapter 8. He who has my commandment and keeps them is he who loves me. He and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What does that word mean? It means to make apparent. It means to reveal. It means to become transparent. I am going away and I am giving you this Holy Spirit so that my Father through the Holy Spirit will abide with you forever. I will abide with you forever because I'm not leaving you as orphans. I will come to you. I am actually going to be preparing a place for you to making ready your home so we can be together for all eternity that the world won't see me anymore, but you will see me with supernatural eyes. You'll be able to experience me in ways the world can't understand. One of the attributes of experiencing me is I'm going to give you my peace. I'm going to leave behind the peace that I have for you that the world cannot even understand. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, verse 21, and I will love him, this is agape, all the way through, and I will manifest myself to him. I want to ask you an honest question. Has Christ ever manifested himself to you? Well, yeah, those are the tens in my spiritual life. Those are the times when he felt so close to me that when I prayed and he spoke, I could almost feel his breath on my cheek, that, that he worked miracles out that I felt it was just an incredible kind of time of just worship with him. Do you remember those? If you've ever had one? Yeah, that was a 10. That was a, that was a 12. And so when you say, judge you know, your spiritual life now compared to the closest time you've ever been to the Lord. Let's make that a 10 compared to where you are now. I'm an 8, 7, 6 compared to that. That was the time that he manifested himself to me in such a profound way. That's a promise to you. The world cannot understand that. To the lost, the Bible says it is foolishness. It is moronic to those, but for you who've experienced it, who can experience it in a day-in and day-out kind of relationship, it changes everything. Everything. How much so? Well, let me just go ahead and read the next couple of verses. We'll close. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? 
Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, reiterating exactly what he said in verse 21, and we, my father and I, we will come to him and make our, my father and I, home with him in the person of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. He's the one that says that. Then he sums it all up and says this, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, now defined as the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name on my behalf, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. So disciples, what is your biggest need right now? Peace, filled with turmoil. You're leaving, I'm scared. What are we going to do? Verse 27, since I am leaving, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to leave something behind for you. It's not grace, it's not love, it's not mercy, it's not joy, it's not long-suffering, it's not all those things that he highlights at this particular point in time. Instead, he understands exactly what they're going through, and he said, peace, I leave you. Well, what kind of peace? My peace, the peace that I have, the peace that belongs to me, the peace that I have experienced as the Son of God, I give to you. And I'm giving it to you, not as the world gives, not the kind of peace the world gives, or I'm giving it to you, not in the way the world gives gifts, where you have to earn them or deserve them or I can take them back. Instead, I'm giving it to you, therefore, as recipients of my peace, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Neither let it be afraid. Amen? Now I could start with Karen, and I could ask her what keeps her up at night and what she worries about, what she needs more peace about, and she would probably say my children and grandchildren. True? I would ask Nick, and he would have his answer. Mo, it's my lost loved ones and my kids. Meredith, I have a baby in, in NICU that I want to I bring home. I, I've got all that to worry about, and all of us have things that we're anguishing over. All of us have things that we're worrying about, relationships that are faltering, money situations, what's going to happen in the world, deal, you know, I mean, we all do. But the Lord says, because you have the Holy Spirit living in you, that Christ has left us his peace. It's almost like I'm leaving And I've experienced this unbelievable peace in front of all of you, so much so that we're on a boat, and the boat's about to sink, and I'm sleeping in the back while veteran fishermen are worried. Do you remember the story? I have that kind. I don't need this peace anymore, so I'm leaving it to you. Well, what kind of peace is it? It's my peace. It's my peace that I'm giving to you. Therefore, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. It is our possession, birthright, as a child of Christ. Amen? Live in that. Experience that. 
and you'll be surprised that your circumstances may not change. They may actually get worse, but you will have a peace that passes all understanding, and it will make the Christ in you just irresistible to others out there who are trying to make it on their own. Let me pray.